0: and welcome back to ost party action news now we're going to throw it over to libby cudmore in the uh weather pavilion what libby what's the weather like out there
1: it has been raining nonstop for four days. We're concerned that this will uh, put a damper on the Devil's Night festivities, but uh, looking ahead, it still looks like, uh, still looks like rain, so wear a, wear a jacket, wear a hood, make sure that you are protected as you go out on Devil's Night, Joe. Uh,
0: okay, well, uh, Libby, you know, it, it can't rain all the time, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Devil's Night will go off without a hitch this year. Um, was that a good joke i don't know (laughs) we're gonna go with it so let's do it yeah sure why not uh hi everybody uh welcome to the ost party a podcast where music fans and movie fans come together and have a rocking good time talking about movie soundtracks and all things related Uh, my name is joseph wade i am your co-host here with me tonight as always is my lovely co-host libby cudmore
1: hello everyone this movie broke me (laughs)
0: it only took six episodes it took me six episodes and libby is finally broken
1: (laughs) i got through cool world and here we are
0: i've been broken from the beginning so (laughs) join me in my shattered palace of horrifying (laughs) nightmares (laughs) oh so yeah we're talking about uh the 1994 gothic comic book murder fantasy the The crow based on a comic book uh series by james O'Barr uh which there this there's really no fun way to talk about this because it's just it's just drenched in death and sadness and gothic uh overtones yes, and, it has
1: probably yeah. one of the most gothic backstories in the the entire canon of goth film
0: uh let's, yeah uh libby uh tell us a little bit about that
1: <laughs> all right during the filming of the crow near the end star Brandon Lee was filming a scene where his character is shot and killed by thugs. It's the apartment scene uh, very very early on in the film and during that uh, actor Michael Massey fired a Smith & Wesson uh, forty-four Magnum revolver at Lee unfortunately there was a bullet in the chamber and Lee was struck and he died in the hospital later that night one week before uh, his uh, his wedding So,
0: not uh, ironic for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it pretty much mirrors uh, his character's death in the film.
1: Mm -hmm. But also,
0: it's very similar to the way his father Bruce Lee died, Mm -hmm. as as I as I understand it.
1: Yes, um, it's uh, it's heartbreaking when you you know because I've I've always known that I I -hmm. didn't see this film when it came out, um, and but I always knew that the main actor died during the filming so to watch that having read about it for years and to watch that scene which was composed later of computer animation using stunt doubles uh, but to realize that you're watching that scene where he died is right, horrifying yeah. even though i mean you're not actually it's not a snuff film but you're you're watching that and it's it's sad it makes for a really sad and, you know, dare I say, kind of moving performance.
0: Right. And and like even knowing that, you know, they I'm almost certain they reshot that scene with a stunt double because I think even yeah. they knew like that we can't put this in the movie.
1: Oh, yeah. No, of yeah. course. It's so, uh...
0: But th- not that that makes it any better. I mean, it's still no. terrible. And I, I guess at this point I should back up and say, um, you know, Bruce Lee wasn't shot dead making a film, but he did die during production of a film. So, yes, that's the parallel there but mm-hmm. uh yeah like and then going a step even further you know the the right the creation of the original comic book came about because uh the writer's girlfriend was killed by a drunk driver and he poured all of his his you know sadness and pain about that incident into making this book so it's this weird feedback loop where just it's just death all around in this film and so that kind of makes for if you like going into that knowing all of that it's a really kind of depressing and dour experience but then we're here to talk about the movie itself and the soundtrack that accompanies it which is um having said all that I don't want to sound flip about it but kind of goofy
1: yeah this movie is extremely goofy and now that we've sort of gotten all that out of the way I feel a little better about the fact that I'm absolutely going to make fun of this throughout I'm sorry this movie is just it's too goofy it's... Libby
0: is going to murder me with her words tonight.
1: Oh, yeah. It's bring it on. Um, and that I, I, should, I feel like I should point out um, that in high school, I was a goth. Like a very, again, this is sort of before everyone was. I was like the one goth girl in my high school. And I, I didn't see it until, I didn't see this movie, which is such a goth staple until this week.
0: Um, and then, I guess for my part, uh, this was a film that played on HBO when I was in high school.
1: You I'm had HBO?
0: Like... Oh yeah, oh yeah. You're fancy. I know we were we were, we was rich folks oh. uh, watching the HBOs. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but somebody no, had
1: parents who loved him.
0: M- somebody had parents who liked watching Dream On. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I watched this movie a lot in high school, and this was also and r- r- mind you. I'm the weirdo who, like, in the early 2000s, when I'm in high school, like, I'm having a very heavy, like, serious grunge music phase. And this movie kind of fed directly into that.
1: Yeah, you had mentioned that back on our our Clerks podcast.
0: Yeah, so, like, I wasn't ever, like, the goth kid, but, like, I, this movie clicked and connected with me as, like, the sort of, like, creeping grunge sadness of it all
1: <laughs>
0: and so this is really the closest I ever came to like putting on the white makeup and the trench coat and becoming a goth kid myself
1: okay I never wore the white makeup because if you've ever seen me in person I basically translucent anyway
0: <laughs> so then you know white on white it's just you know yeah where, where did Libby go
1: yeah pretty much I'd <laughs> be well it, actually putting on the the white makeup would have made me darker
0: <laughs> oh no <laughs> um but, yeah, so I feel like I really messed up tonight because I'm the one who suggested the film, partly because I remember loving it as a high schooler, but also because I honestly thought that, like, Libby would really dig the soundtrack, and I don't know if I was right or not.
1: There were pieces that I liked. Okay. But I, I had fun with it, I think, and that's really why we're here, isn't that's, it?
0: yeah, to to discover new old music and find things that we enjoy about crap from 1994 and make fun of Joe. Yeah. So. I'm I am here I am the punching bag of this entire show <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Um one last thing that I need to mention before we get started is that this movie was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina and I went to I went to college. I went to film school in Wilmington, North Carolina.
1: What?
0: So, um in my college days, we would go around downtown and look at all of the filming locations from movies that had been made in in Wilmington in years past like Uh, The downtown scenes in The Crow were in downtown Wilmington. The um, April O'Neil's TV station is in downtown Wilmington. What? Uh, The sidewalk from the Hudsucker Proxy where the kid discovers the hula hoop for the first time. That's in downtown Wilmington. Wilmington is like the Hollywood of the East Coast, basically. That is
1: amazing. I mean, you also know we have New York City, right?
0: I know, but no. Dino De Laurentiis, he put his film studio in Wilmington and called it Hollywood of the East Coast. like it's 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 maybe not true but that's what they named it. <laughs>
1: that's incredible. Now I really want to come visit you.
0: Even and more also, than I already did. As I was watching the film again this week, like I'm watching the credits and then all of a sudden like, oh hey, I know that name. He was one he was a professor of mine. Oh, I know that name too. <gasps> oh my god. <laughs> wow. So I've been taught I've been taught film uh, production and theory by people who made The Crow. Take that that's, for what it's worth.
1: <laughs> that's very very cool. Um well, we'll uh, I'll, I'll bring uh, some black lace and some white makeup, and we'll wander around uh, some abandoned buildings when it comes yes. to
0: Yes. All right. I'm into it.
1: <laughs> now, there's a, a reason we're doing this today. I believe there's an anniversary coming up of The Crow.
0: Yeah. It, this year, it's The Crow's 25th anniversary. It uh, came out in May of 1994. All right. Hit number two at the box office. Right in between When a Man Loves a Woman and Four Weddings and a Funeral. That is All the right. strangest, like, triple play I've ever seen on, like, the box office charts.
1: Well, there was supposed to be a wedding in this, and there were funerals.
0: Precisely two, yeah. <laughs> two, two funerals and, and no weddings. Yeah. So, the, I guess the, unless
1: you count the end. I,
0: I guess so. She's wearing well, a wedding dress. That's true. Well, in that case, there's a ton of, of funerals in this movie.
1: The whole movie is a funeral.
0: It basically, yeah, it's a two-hour funeral. It's honestly, that's like the best thing we can say about this movie. It's a two-hour funeral for Brandon Lee. Yeah. And we just brought it back oh. down again. I swear.
1: Oh now we're all sad. I'm sorry, everyone.
0: Um. Okay, so let me let me bring it back up a little bit. Let's talk about the soundtrack for just a minute. Uh, this was a, kind of an accidental big hit in 1994 um it, it hit number that has the soundtrack hit number one on the billboard album charts knocking tim mcgraw off the top spot and then a take week later, that
1: tim mcgraw
0: and then a week later uh it was knocked off the top spot by ace of bass
1: that's and then, not good
0: <laughs> i will take then, the crow like,
1: over ace of bass
0: it's, it's me too please me too but then immediately after that uh, Stone Temple Pilots put out their new album, uh, which knocked Ace of Base off the top charts, and that album has a song from this soundtrack on it. So it's like okay. it's like the summer of Stone Temple Pilots here on the podcast.
1: Good, take that, you white supremacists.
0: Yeah. Wait, what?
1: Oh yeah, Ace of Base are like white supremacists.
0: Oh okay, I thought you, I thought you were talking about Tim Tim McGraw. <laughs> of of the people we've just just mentioned who might come after us, I feel like Tim McGraw would be the one.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. What's, what's one more fight?
0: Um, I, yeah, I, I know. Like, how many fights can we possibly pick in one episode?
1: Let's find oh, out. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, Joe, what do you say
0: we fire it up? Fire it up! Fire it, fire up. it up! Fire it up! Fire it up! Fire it up! Fire it up. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Where are we going to start tonight?
1: I think we should start um, with uh, the main theme, which is Burn. This is where I'm going to wield my goth girl credit. Uh, I love The Cure because you are required by law to love The Cure. Um, and if this soundtrack didn't have The Cure on it, it would be an absolute failure. The Cure were made for this.
0: This, Yeah. I mean, almost literally. Like, yeah. The Cure features in the comic book, and apparently Robert Smith was a big fan.
1: Yes. So. Um, in the, the comic book, they uh, there's a page uh, that is just the lyrics to uh, The Hanging Garden
0: right so and and he definitely has a
1: robert smith look to him the scraggly hair
0: Mm -hmm. yeah um even in in the film even like his he's very he's got that real like i don't know what you call what you call that kind of hairstyle i guess it's the robert smith hairstyle basically yeah in the film but it's like wet and kind of matted and because
1: it rains all the time in that city like despite his it can't rain all the time it does i i mean
0: it's Detroit. I, I, I mean, it rains yeah. all the time in Detroit, right?
1: Yeah, or Binghamton, yeah, where it also rains all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the, the you sort of well, this song plays after he has crawled out of his grave. Um, uh, he's been murdered. Ernie Hudson has stood looking very sour over his dead body, and he. It's a year later after uh. The murder of Eric Draven and uh, Shelly, his fiance, And he crawls out of the grave. He returns to her flat. And... Which apparently is a squat, I guess. Um, because... I
0: don't, I don't know the distinction. I don't get it.
1: I don't know if... I feel like... Because uh, uh, the, the villain, Tam Tam, he says something about like he's trying to evict everyone out of the building and i get the sense that she wasn't paying rent there Hmm. Uh, there's a brief mention of tenants rights and then he murders her so um but he eric goes back to the building and is moping around and this song plays as he's having what appears to be a nervous breakdown uh which is what you do when you listen to the cure and there's the line uh just paint your face and shadow smile and he paints his face white with his ridiculous makeup and it is the dumbest <laughs> thing in the world.
0: He's putting on his uh uh superhero costume for the first time and this song is just like charging into this into the the mix like it it really works. I love the scene actually. It, I actually <laughs> love this film and I'm going to fight you every inch of the way. I think this okay. is a great um, scene.
1: <laughs> it's <laughs> You know, it probably would be if for the fact that Brandon Lee, God bless him, looks like every time he smiles, and he smiles a lot in a film when he's not murdering people, he looks like he should be starring in a Hallmark movie and teaching the frazzled CEO of a cosmetics company the true meaning of Christmas. He just, (laughs) he has the nicest smile. He's He's just just a nice looking person.
0: He's very photogenic and... I, yeah. I I feel like the best parts of his performance and I feel like you're going to agree with me here are pretty much any t- everything that's physical like none of his f- actual dialogue none of his emotional performance really is that convincing but anytime he's asked to do yeah, anything physical or anytime his stunt double who apparently had to finish the film for him is asked to do anything physical like Eric Draven is kind of a boss
1: yeah you know he is the he's a bad actor he's I mean, I- it really feels, bad
0: it feels bad to say that but yeah kind of
1: he just sucks it's, um, it's not
0: it's not the most convincing but it is very entertaining i'll give him that
1: <laughs> but um but you kind of can't expect subtlety from this movie and so getting the cure uh who wrote a song called boys don't cry and another called killing an arab uh they're not <laughs> oh, exactly God. subtle right,
0: right They
1: like you you leave subtlety to either morrissey uh, with the Smiths, much more poetic, or Susie and the Banshees, who are just so abstract that mm. you you don't know what's going on. But um, I'm really surprised the song wasn't called "I'm in the Crow" and I'm very sad. And now I'm gonna punch a drug dealer. <laughs> and just Robert Smith wailing that for five minutes.
0: I'm I'm sure I he love was Robert
1: Smith. I'm glad they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm very proud of them. Welcome mm. to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Smiths should have gotten in first, motherfuckers.
0: I can't argue with that. Um, I can, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Good plan. Because I'm going to lose that fight.
1: Yes, you will.
0: All right. All right. Jeez. Calm down.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: Look, look, look. I'm sure Robert Smith really wished he could have named this song, It Can't Rain All the Time, but somebody beat him to it.
1: Oh, God. But, um... As this one I did I do like this song. um, it's a it's, good song, yeah, yeah, it's a little more hard driving than I normally like the cure. Um, I'm a little more of the Charlotte sometimes cure or the really goofy cure, like Friday I'm in Love or the Love cats, mm. but this song is it's really this is the best song on the album um and there's a lot of good stuff on here, so yeah
0: this this song is is very much my speed. Uh, unlike a lot of the songs by artists that I typically like. Which I, I'm kind of sort of baffled by why their songs are even on here, but we'll get to that in a bit.
1: Yes, and um, one of the things I will say about this soundtrack is it is remarkably consistent for the film. It is one of the most on-brand soundtracks I've I've oh, heard.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: And you know we've we've sort of talked about um, you know, this is our our sixth episode. Um, if you go back to like Clerks, there's stuff on the Clerks soundtrack that seems a little out of place and even on on cool world there's stuff that's a little edgy and it like i or even a little light i disappointed by electronic just doesn't seem like it needs to be on there it doesn't match with things like play with me and sex on wheels so but this one as i was listening i kept expecting some like breathy r&b single like where are you now from uh Batman <laughs> and forever to just like pop up, but no, the crow delivers just industrial goth beats and does not. It doesn't stop. It gives you exactly what uh, what a movie called the crow should give.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the album is really like front loaded with all of its heavy hitters because mm-hmm. like the back the back end of it, there's some good stuff on it, but for the most part, uh, I don't. I, I would be hard pressed to really tell you anything about the Jesus and Mary Chain for for instance.
1: Yeah, they're a band that I keep wanting to get into and just can't. Mm-hmm. One day, it took me like fifteen years to get into Elvis Costello, so there's still time.
0: Right. Yeah. I'm
1: gonna be sixty. I'm gonna be like, it's time for me to really like the Jesus and Mary Chain. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I just I to open with Burn, I thought was really really good, and I don't think all of the music is used in the soundtrack, but that is one of the the first ones you hear
0: yeah yeah so um it's
1: that and um uh Big Empty
0: walking, walking. Big Empty I feel like is one we almost have to talk about just because oh, yeah. it was like the big hit from the album yeah but also just the fact that like when we talk about soundtracks we talk we we have to talk about sort of the way they're constructed and like with like with Batman Forever you know they they sort of sold that album on U2 and Seal
1: mm-hmm. and i
0: feel like this was definitely sold on on Stone Temple Pilots
1: which surprises me
0: yeah it i mean it's it's an odd choice for this kind of movie
1: well only because the, it, that was the only single from yeah. the Crow and that you have The Cure who are well established <clears throat> by this point you've got Nine Inch Nails who are you know Not up and coming, but certainly haven't been around as long as The Cure. Um, You know, you have some real names on here, Rage Against the Machine. You've got uh, Mm -hmm. Henry Rollins Band, The Violent Femmes, My Life at the Thrill Kill Cult. We see them again. They're Um, back. Welcome back. Pantera. And so (laughs) there was only one single, and especially considering that this soundtrack sold a bajillion copies, um this and Batman Forever are probably the two most successful soundtracks we've talked about so far,
0: I think so. yeah, Oops. this was not a hard one for me to find by the way like I keep talking about my my used record store that has like a, a bajillion uh uh soundtracks just kind of lining the hallways as you go in, which is a lie, but this was very mm. easy to find <laughs> i paid I, I paid a dollar <laughs> fifty for it, so it's wow. definitely out there
1: well, and this one is on uh Spotify
0: okay in yeah. full,
1: which was a nice find on finally yeah i know that's been kind of an issue
0: i'm 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 um, more i don't know i'm kind of a stickler for physical media so i was mm-hmm. very pleased to find an actual disc yeah
1: this. i i normally am but uh all my cds are still packed up so
0: yeah and i, I understand like like space is definitely a a, a luxury nowadays mm-hmm. so or it's at a premium more or less so you, you have to have to pick and choose what you keep nowadays yeah I like having the disc the physical disc around because some days I just want to drive around in my car um which hey guess what that's what Big Empty is all about
1: yeah so why (laughs) don't you talk about that
0: (laughs) all right so yeah Big Empty is a song that's kind of about I guess the the end of relationships where uh two people are struggling to communicate with each other and you know Scott Weiland constantly hits that refrain you know conversations kill this is how conversations kill and it's a very i don't I don't want to say downbeat because the whole album is downbeat but it's it's mm-hmm. very much about you know just being frustrated and exhausted and like what else are we going or what else are we supposed to do here and it's about this just that that feeling of like there's nothing else left the big empty more or less but um yeah this song There's a couple of conflicting stories regarding this song. Um, I couldn't figure out which one was correct. Like either if the band originally was going to write this song for the movie or if they were were going to write a song for the movie, it was going to be called Only Dying. But given the circumstances of Brandon Lee's death, they decided to course correct. And I can't figure out if this song was originally called Only Dying or if this is a completely different song. It's Hmm. one of the two.
1: If you know the answer... Right into us at ostpartypod at gmail dot com or find us on Twitter.
0: Yes, please and thank you. Yes,
1: um, <laughs> I would like this one because um, I love the the bluesy opening and this plays uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken when they're uh, the gang members are driving around doing crimes in the arcade.
0: Yeah, like T Bird and his buddies are driving around in the, driving around the, around the streets. It's like before Devil's Night. Devil's Night is the night before Halloween where uh, all of the Criminals of Detroit basically go out and just burn shit down.
1: So and, it's weird and cause they, they never actually mention Halloween. There's only Devil's Night.
0: Right. Yeah. And um, oh, what's in tip top at at the end of, near the end of the movie, he he complains that there are Devil's Night greeting cards. Uh, so like, I've his, never gotten one. His his nightmarish hell holiday has become commercialized. Like, whose fucking fault was that, idiot?
1: Well, I really feel like um and this is a this is a controversial opinion, uh, but I'm not afraid to say we need to put the devil back in devil's night.
0: Absolutely we do. You know, yeah. Halloween Halloween is for kids. They're allowed to have it, but Devil's Night that's for us.
1: That's for us to go apparently burn entire cities down. Mhm. And it's
0: I mean, it's like a <laughs> cont- it's like it's like it's like when you go out into the, or when firefighters go out into the woods and they do controlled burns so that forest fires don't become more of a problem, but I guess they're applying it to the concept of cities and just burning old buildings down so that the firefighters have something to do. We use taxpayer dollars and we make way for new development and, and better buildings
1: I guess, but it just, that just seems like a bad idea. like you'd think they would put a stop to that really quickly because they burn what appears to be a Functioning arcade, uh... which
0: in which in 1994, who gives a shit? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> in 2019, they're one of our most valuable resources, but in 94, they're kind of a dime a dozen.
1: Like <laughs> <laughs> you would think, in a building or in a city that seems to be nothing but cement-floored vacant warehouses, mm-hmm. they would find one of those to burn.
0: You would but, think, wouldn't you? Like, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Like the 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 friggin' uh, warehouse nightclub uh, cocaine den that that uh, Tea Money works op- operates out of. <laughs> I don't know. What's his name? Yeah.
1: Well, uh, I think it is uh, Top Hat. Hmm. Wow. Yes.
0: So Fred Astaire is the villain of this movie. <laughs> And it's hilarious because he's he's grown this huge head of just luxurious hair. <laughs>
1: yes. And
0: he's he, he's smoked a thousand cigarettes for this role.
1: Yes. And I feel like when this inevitably gets remade, which it will, uh, even though several remakes have already failed, including one by Rob Zombie, um, I feel that uh, the villain Tap Shoes will be played by James Franco.
0: <laughs> no, you know, what, what we're actually going to get is we're going to get a Showtime original movie where it's going to be Dave Franco.
1: Well, Dave Franco hasn't, like, as far as I know, uh, sexually assaulted anyone, so maybe we're better off.
0: Maybe so. I mean, why, why pay for the problematic, uh, the problematic A list when you can get the B lister for half off?
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of these days, my my dream in this life, other than to get a Devil's Night greeting card, is to throw a drink in James Franco's face. I just want to wanna... do that so badly.
0: I want to be there when you do so I can take a picture.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I could take him. I feel I like I could. could. Re- yeah. I feel like I could just, I feel like he'd be a really girly fighter. So, but uh, getting back to big empty <laughs> um, which is what his head's going to be when I pound him into the floor. Okay. <clears throat> um, the I really, uh, the bluesy grunge sound of this is a real nice reprieve from just being kicked around on cement floors. Which is what the rest of the soundtrack sounds like. It's yeah, a it, nice... it's a good,
0: it's a nice change of pace.
1: Yeah, from just screaming industrial goth metal.
0: And like twenty five years later, it's easy to forget that this was like actually a huge hit in nineteen ninety four. Like Big Empty is still kind of a modern rock staple, like on radio stations that still really? only plays. Yeah, like it's they still only it pl- still play this song on stations that only do like. Rock music from like 1989 to to Nickelback, you know, okay. they play this a lot.
1: That's actually um, my and, my husband actually recognized. It. He's like, "Oh, I know this song," and he's never seen the movie, never heard the soundtrack, uh, but he <laughs> he did know this song, and he's a Sound Humble Pilots fan, so yeah, yeah, I was actually really impressed.
0: <clears throat> and uh, I, I feel like "staple" is the right word to use for this song and this band because. Stone Temple Pilots are like the music equivalent of store brand wheat bread. <laughs> it's nobody's favorite, but we'll take it if there's nothing else.
1: Yeah, it'll it'll suffice.
0: It'll tide you over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah,
0: I mean, no. Listening to this song kind of on repeat for the past week. I, this might be my favorite Stone Temple Pilots song. I don't know. Okay,
1: I could see that. It's a it's, it's a good. really
0: good one. It's yeah, a, it's, it really it's way is. Way up there.
1: So I'll I'll uh, I'll give it to him. So I uh, just going back to um uh, Tom Tom's uh nightclub, actually two of the bands on the soundtrack appear in the nightclub. And it looks like a really shitty nightclub, but they get some really good acts.
0: Uh, yeah, who uh who do who do we got in this nightclub?
1: We open with um Medicine playing a song called Time Baby Two, which was recorded as Time Baby Three, with uh the uh See if I, I always mispronounce this, so I'm just gonna like slur it all together. Um the uh Coke twins, Robin Guthrie and Liz Frazier uh actually contribute to the version that's on the soundtrack. The version that's actually played in the nightclub is a little heavier. And the version on the soundtrack, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Liz Frazier's vocals. Have you ever heard Heaven in Las Vegas?
0: I don't think I have, no. Heaven
1: in Las Vegas is so beautiful. Her voice is so beautiful. It's so ambient and dreamy. It's narcotic. That song will (laughs) just like mellow you the fuck out. And so I think she's a really nice addition to this song. It makes it more melodic. That's the kind of goth sound that I preferred. Um, I wasn't, I uh, I wasn't a, an industrial nine inch nails goth. I was a more melodic, uh, again Susie and the Banshees. Um, you know I'm going to see Delane for the second time later this year. I've seen Nightwish twice. So I like that like symphonic sound mm-hmm. over like thrash metal.
0: The heaviness. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. I get that.
1: Yeah, I don't like the the gloom, but um. It, this one, uh, Time Baby 3, is it's gorgeous. It's really melodic. and, uh, But they keep asking, do they have to take you away? So I'm going to ask you, Joe, do they have to take you away? 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 You can stop me anytime. I'm just going to keep doing it. Do they have to take you away? Uh, uh. Do they have to take you away? Yes. Do they have to take you away? <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure, they do. Of course, they do. I've lost wow. my fucking mind with this soundtrack. <laughs> I wow. mean, this one, I don't, I don't have too much of, of an opinion on it. It's just, it's a, it's a lovely song, and I would not mind listening to it again. But it, it's one that really did kind of, I don't want to say glanced off me because that sounds bad, but it, it definitely. Um, it floated on by. I'll say that in, in a soundtrack that's just nonstop like distortion and boot stomping, this one is kind of it sits above the rest, kind of right right there with Big Empty. Is just like something that I can relax to, I guess. Yeah,
1: and it's I'm kind of surprised they went with. Time Baby Three over Time Baby Two. Um why they didn't go with the original version in the movie, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm fine with both of them. I really like um the the female vocals, so um but the the inclusion of of uh the third the third version, I think is a really nice touch. So yeah. her vocals are just delightful.
0: Yeah, this one and I mean we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later, but this one it reminds me a lot of The song that it plays over the end credits, It Can't Rain (laughs) All the Time, which, and I I don't want to say it's because, oh, it's because there's two female singers, but, like, they just, in my brain, they just kind of mix together. Yeah. And so I I have a little bit of a hard time differentiating the two.
1: Yeah, that's Um, fair. But That's um, uh,
0: that's more my problem, really. mm
1: -hmm. But um, also playing at um, Tam O'Shanter's nightclub is our friends, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult.
0: people being crucified. Hey, welcome yeah.
1: back. So uh, they appeared on the Cool World soundtrack, I believe with five songs in all, three on the soundtrack. Um, here they come in with After the Flesh. Do you want to talk about this one?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. So this one plays as um, Longhair McGinty has got his his troops ready to fight the crow, like this is much later in the film, Mm -hmm. where the crow has become an actual problem for him because he's killing all of his um, henchmen, the ones who specifically murdered him and his fiance a year ago. And so now uh, I see, I need to think of, I need to have a whole, on my own list of names for this guy. How about
1: TikTok? That's one I just found.
0: Okay, so Alien Resurrection is he's gathered all of his guys together to like fight the crow and the crow shows up all hell breaks loose they start this massive gunfight it's kind of a great action sequence and then a guy falls through the glass ceiling down onto the nightclub interrupting the thrill kill cult destroying the entire um uh industrial metal ambiance that they have that they have established and uh the band kind of has to flee the scene in a hurry
1: which i that's the part. Okay. I believe that a crow would bring Eric Draven back from the dead to avenge his fiance's death. I can get that. I can get that some long haired samurai dude uh, who just does mountains and mountains of blow uh, can fight people and runs a drug empire and apparently has something to do with tenant evictions. But that a one falling body would ruin an entire My Life of the Thrill Kill cult show. I just don't buy it. I feel like they would step over him and keep like thrashing.
0: Like without even missing a beat, just like yeah, they exactly. wouldn't even stop. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's just I d I don't, get, I don't
1: believe that. that these people would be like my like clutch their pearls like tip or gore like, My God, there's a dead man in here. We must stop mushing.
0: <laughs> and you know, I feel like it might have been like the dead body might not have even phased them. It's the gunfire that makes people go, Oh my god, we gotta get out of here.
1: How would you even sure. know that's gunfire over those drums?
0: Oh, you know what? Good point. Okay. Never mind.
1: Yeah. I just, I don't um, buy it. I, it's the most unbelievable scene in the film.
0: <laughs> this is the part you've been hung up on. Yeah. Uh, all week.
1: What? Yes. Well, I've been hung up on a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, obviously, there's a lot here, a lot <laughs> to unpack. But, uh, uh, so tell us about the song a, l- a little bit.
1: Oh, um, I. This one, it's much more of a speed thrash track than we've heard uh, previously with Mm -hmm. things like Her Sassy Kiss and uh, uh, The Devil Does Drugs and um, Sex on Wheels. It's laden with samples and it is exactly the kind of music that your mom would call the devil's music. And (laughs) like, it's ugly. And it's unpleasant, just like everybody in that club scene. Now, um, when asked about this, um, they said that My Life at the Thrill Kill Cult was saying it was an immensely unpleasant experience. It was 20 below when they shot this. And they're in a, essentially a cement box having to play this <laughs> song over and over and over and over and over. And so they would record... Uh, the extras would dance for a few minutes, and then they'd go back to huddling under blankets trying to keep warm and, you know, repeat for two days.
0: <laughs> All to get, like, 30 to 45 seconds of film, basically. Yeah. So. It's, cra- it's crazy how film productions work. Like, you have to really commit yourself to getting that one shot of a band playing, you know? yeah. So. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh-
1: yeah, but it's um, it's not it's not their best work. This one I was really I was excited um when I saw them on this and expect to see them in the movie, but this was just not. I like my I like it a, a little more of that like sleazy disco that we like see.
0: Uh, you like it a little funkier than this.
1: Yeah, it's more of the sort of sex explosion era. So. Right,
0: right. Yeah, this is again kind of part and parcel with Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and that whole like the industrial kind of rock movement. Where I get it, I'm into it in bits and pieces, but for the most part it just it it's exhausting i think yeah
1: it um, i to listen to I can't imagine listening to this, like just like listen- i mean you wanna like if you were in a club and they played it, I would thrash around and everything, but like the idea of just like going home and putting this on or driving around, listening to this maybe. is. It's a foreign concept to me, like
0: like a full album of just this, yeah, yeah, but if it if it yeah, if it was more you know a little bit a little bit of the funkier stuff, a little bit like uh, the e d m inspired a little bit of the industrial like all kind of together, that's one thing, but I don't yeah I, I don't think I could listen to this song for an hour and a half,
1: no, actually listening to this uh album to prep for this, listening to it in full gave me such a splitting headache. <laughs>
0: Well, you know what they say, Libby. So, if it's too loud, you're too old.
1: I am old. I'm a thousand years old. Joe, my favorite band is Steely Dan. Did you really think that this was going to be like my thing?
0: I know. I knew. <laughs> but I knew I couldn't let an opportunity to quote the movie Airhead Slide. So
1: That's fair. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this definitely was like the last nail in the coffin of like, you know what? I'm not goth. I'm just not. So, But apparently like, you are, so...
0: Throw in the... T- yeah, I mean, apparently I'm into this uh, uh, until I'm not.
1: Yeah. And
0: there's a lot of it that I'm not into. So maybe I'm not goth either, but I can sure as hell try.
1: <laughs> we'll give it a, a whirl, but... um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just I want to sort of talk a little bit about this movie. Yeah, but, yeah. Because I was trying to figure out, as far as I could tell, this movie is about a guy... Who goes around murdering people and telling them not to do drugs? He's like the dare officer of Sin City.
0: <laughs> that's that's he just perfectly fair. Yeah. He just goes around
1: murdering people and uh, telling I mean, people not to do drugs. That's it.
0: Specifically, the scene you're referring to is um okay, so we should back up a little bit and say like there's a there's a kid in this movie for some like child protective services forbidden reason i don't know there's a kid in this movie who's like eric and shelly's best friend like they're they're like kid buddy and her mother is a waitress slash uh junkie, junkie. yeah basically and there's this in one of the scenes she goes upstairs of the bar to go and shoot up with one of the goons whose name is fun boy
1: who was originally who's... supposed to be iggy pop
0: oh really i didn't yeah, know yeah fun fact <laughs> and what did Iggy Pop object to? Oh
1: exactly? he was um he actually he appears in the second one. He, he uh was touring and recording. Oh, okay, he just he okay. couldn't uh he couldn't get free.
0: Okay, so he's instead of too busy they found, being like, in
1: the adventures of Pete and Pete.
0: Yeah, yeah. uh Mr Mr uh what's her name? Mr. Mecklenburg?
1: I think so. Known um, as Dad. Yeah, he's uh Iggy Pop is a national treasure and we should protect yeah, him at all absolutely. costs.
0: So, but anyway, so instead they hired a guy who looks just like the lead singer of Soul Asylum, <laughs> uh, who is he and this girl's mom are are shooting up morphine and they're getting ready to have sex and the crow like just kind sort of slips into the into the window. And with a guitar, like he's he's running around the streets of Detroit, killing people while holding a guitar. It's the silliest thing. Well,
1: there's a there's a dude. um, Oh my god, maybe the crow is here. There's a dude that walks around the streets of uh, my hometown carrying a guitar. He doesn't play. He just like walks (laughs) around carrying an electric guitar. (laughs) Maybe he's the crow.
0: He might be. You never know. Probably is. Watch Watch him long enough. But anyway, so once he kills Fun Boy. He then grabs this woman and, like, magics the morphine back out of her veins and tells her not to do drugs. Drugs are bad for you, he says.
1: Yeah, that's the exact line.
0: Uh, yeah, oh, it's, it's, not, it's, it's nothing, nothing more nuanced than drugs are bad for you.
1: So, yeah, morphine's bad for you. Your daughter morphine's, is out morphine there. is
0: bad for you, yeah, yeah.
1: That's it. It's not, there's nothing poetic. It's just literally...
0: Mother is the name for God the lips and hearts of all children. Do you understand? Morphine is bad for you.
1: There's a lot of, like, pseudo-biblical nonsense in this.
0: Yeah, and a lot of it doesn't go anywhere, and it's just kind of window dressing.
1: None of it goes anywhere. None of this (laughs) movie goes anywhere.
0: Not at all. And he
1: smiles, you know, very sweetly, like he is uh, about to... Raise an orphan while working in a bookstore. Um, he's so handsome. He has the nicest smile. He just seems like a good guy. But um, and it's too bad he's home. a.
0: It's too bad he's a poor rock musician who gets murdered.
1: Yeah, well, um, he, but it's it's not just the morphine because he's constantly telling the black Ghostbuster not to smoke.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: He's just like really and like I respect that. Like I'm, you know, as a, a I was very straight edge in high school and college and to uh, in a lot of ways still am but um
0: but then he offers him a beer like in the same scene
1: yeah but or no yeah
0: yeah you know, <laughs> coors light is is hardly alcohol so yeah exactly just not, yeah but, but uh, no we should talk about ernie hudson for a minute because let's I, talk I, about I ernie hudson like... forever <laughs> Absolutely, the next half hour is just Ernie Hudson chat. Um, <laughs> Ernie Hudson plays the cop who stayed with Eric's fiance as after her the, the after the ordeal until she died, uh-huh. and he's the one who he comes across the Eric resurrected, blowing things up, killing people like crazy, and sort of is one over onto his side because he realizes, oh, this is that guy that got killed, but he plays it like. Completely straight faced, he has a sense of humor about it, and I kind of wish that his character had been the main character of the movie.
1: Yeah, I wish we had uh, like followed him a lot closer because he was less likely to play really shitty guitar from the rooftops.
0: <laughs> yeah, like we could we could hear I- it. I I'm fine with us like hearing it from a, a distance, but we don't have to like follow Eric up to the rooftop to watch him play nothing. You know? Honestly,
1: that makes him the villain. As far as I'm concerned, does. a guy standing on his rooftop playing really shitty guitar is a villain. He's a villain when he's in the quad playing Dave Matthews' band. He is a <laughs> villain and should be stopped. That's a public service announcement from OST Party.
0: You know what? On Purge Night, I'm d- I'm positive Eric Draven just goes up to the roof and just plays guitar. Because who's going to tell him not to? Oh, God. But anyway, yeah. Like I wish that we had, had kind of followed... Ernie Hudson through the movie, like as he discovers this thing about the crow and we see the whole thing happening through his eyes and through his perspective. Yeah. And
1: because he is pretty cool with this guy murdering people seven style. Um, because I'm, um, you know, with uh, Tintin, he kills him with his knives. Fun fact about Tintin. He's played by Lawrence Mason. Who played Halpern White on The Shield in season four, and then once in season five? It's a little shout out to my buddy Dashing oh. Drew Rude over at the Shattered Shield podcast. <laughs> um, and I,
0: they, yeah, they they said somebody stuck his blades in all his major organs in alphabetical order, and I'm yeah, like, should... how could it, how could anyone conceivably know that?
1: I know, but that's a hysterical line, so I'm I'm gonna let it pass.
0: Like, were you there? How did were you watching? <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Like, did the crow say, "Okay, now I'm going to stab it in his aorta. Now I'm going to stab it in his bladder. Now I'm going to stab it in his colon. And now let's stab it in his liver." There are no organs that start with D or E or F.
1: Femoral artery. That's not an organ, organ. but it's not an organ. But you'd think he would at least cut it. Look, we're um, not doctors. Okay. (laughs) not doctors we're just podcasters no but the um you know he kills uh fun boy by sticking him full of needles it's very he kills t-bird by driving his car into the uh into the river he this is these are very seven style killings and ernie hudson knows that he's doing it and he's just like whatever yeah
0: yeah it's hey it's 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 less work for him to do really
1: yeah, and it's, it, that's one of the things that, one of my issues with this film, other than the fact that it's fucking goofy as shit, uh, is you never have this sense, like if, you, if you look at uh, The the Hard Goodbye, the, the Sin City film, you watch Marv go through the process of searching for who killed Goldie, asking, killing, asking, killing, asking, killing. Mm-hmm. Eric Draven, just, it's like he automatically knows, so he just, he goes and he kills um Tintin, he goes and he kills Funboy, he goes and he kills T Bird. Like there's there's not this sense of of searching. Which I, I think if you had Ernie Hudson showing up at these crime scenes and sort of discovering black feathers, discovering where um, you know, he's uh sketching his right. crow in uh in blood and in oil. In, um, in,
0: in lighter fluid, which is like Of all the things for the Daredevil movie to steal from anything, why did it have to steal that from the crow?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why couldn't it have stolen his ridiculously goofy makeup that doesn't wash off in the rain?
0: You know what it did steal? It's ridiculously goofy soundtrack.
1: It did. It did. It really did. And also having a really bad actor.
0: That too. So,
1: um, it's actually, as I said, as I was watching this, um, it was, I could pick out different uh, cop show characters. I love cop shows. <laughs> um, uh, Gideon was played by John Polito, who played yes. Detective Steve Cresetti on Homicide Life on the Streets. He died in 2016. Mm. And there's another character, Michael Massey, who played Fun Boy, who fired the fatal shot.
0: Oh, Also died okay. in 2016. Oh, that's a, that's a shame.
1: Yeah. So, um,. Yeah, we we lost a couple of them fairly recently. He never got over that as one could imagine. And yeah, he I'll bet. Yeah. yeah, he's never uh watched that that scene. So, I'm um...
0: But yeah, yeah, Tony Todd uh as uh, T-Money's uh I guess right-hand man is he's a great sort of horror character actor. He was the <laughs> candy man of all things. Yes. So, yeah.
1: My husband played that out too. He's like, "Hey, he's the candy man." Um I have to ask you since since we're talking about uh, TikTok.
0: Was he, mm-hmm. Is that
1: his sister? Like, what is that deal?
0: It, is he, he, it, he's got a weird sexual relationship with his... like. He, she's his half-sister. And I don't get what those two are all about. I really don't.
1: Because they're, like, ripping out girls' eyeballs, and then he does a bunch of cocaine, and she wears a weird bonnet, and then is going to eat a crow to gain its powers. And I'm not really sure. She's one of only, like, four women in the film.
0: Right. And they kind of establish that And one of them is she, already she, dead. She may or may not be a witch, because like her, she figures out that if you capture or kill the crow, they can find they can then kill this guy, Eric Draven. Yeah. So her whole thing is like, well, we need to set a trap, and so that we so that so that Candyman can shoot the crow, <laughs> so that we can shoot the crow as Eric Draven. See, the crow is a bird, but the crow is also a man. <laughs>
1: this movie is weird i don't get it
0: but my 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 favorite weird like strange thing in the movie is when like they they pull out a woman's eyeball and like two or three scenes later they're putting it in a a dish and she set it on fire and then um and then and then top gear is like it's like snorting the smoke and breathing it in and like that's his like new way of getting high is like smoking eyeballs (laughs) And I don't know if he's supposed to, like, glean some information from this. Like, oh, I get to see what she sees now. Or um, he's... I don't know what that's all about. Because it's, 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 it seems like a weird Game of Thrones thing to me.
1: Yeah, I... There's a lot in this movie that I just felt was unexplored and did not get. I just... There was so much in this film that I did not understand. <laughs> and maybe if I had watched it when I was 16, like, it would have all made sense in that weird way. That, like, stuff you watch when you're 16 makes sense. But, um... It's
0: like, yeah, man, it's weird. It doesn't have to make sense, man. Yeah,
1: yeah it's just, it's, like, deep. It feels my soul. And that,
0: like, if, if I can get, like, macro for a, just a second, like, that's one of the things that I kind of, I feel like I, I appreciated about the film back then, and I still appreciate now, is, like, this film really seems to get that, like, when you're a teenager, you feel everything so hard, and this movie feels all the feelings extremely
1: hard. <laughs> it does. It Really does. This, um, was, this
0: movie was made by fifteen year olds.
1: <laughs> I will grant you that. Um, I can't believe that we let the whole thing go by without pointing out that. Uh, I mean, Eric is is Eric Draven. Would you say he's a ghost or a zombie?
0: Ooh, he ha- he's got to be a ghost. Okay, I feel like he's a ghost. And Ernie because... Hudson ain't afraid of no ghost exactly I mean that's that's why they become fast friends because <laughs> he's not afraid, anywhere. yeah <laughs> ghost's gonna ghost yeah and and ghost he does because like he does that weird Batman thing of like people turn around and all of a sudden he's gone, poof, out of here, <laughs> so he there's a there's like one half batman one half ghost man he's, about him
1: yeah, he's Batman that shops the hot topic, and he's really <laughs> yeah. mad at his dad. <laughs>
0: You just don't get my music, Dad. I'm gonna go sit in my room and write poetry about mom. Wait, this, that that took a turn.
1: <laughs> and it's, I mean, going back to Batman. You know, we talk about Gotham City in Batman Forever. It's a, it's a very vibrant. I mean, there's a lot of people in it. It's, it's bright. It's neon. It's you know rock and roll. This city. There's at one point uh, Sarah, the little girl, says, "I get so lonely all by myself." It's like, yeah, because there are nine people in this city. <laughs> there's never anyone on the streets. There's never there's like twenty her people. Is,
0: her mom is never home. Yeah, yeah. And, and
1: there's a bunch of goons who get picked off, and then like twenty people in a nightclub. Those are the only and two cops.
0: Yeah, and the police department, the police department, the criminals, and uh, the one bald asshole who runs a pawn shop. <laughs> Like, that's it. that's Yeah, the there, no one
1: else lives in this giant city, so maybe that's why they have so many buildings they can burn on Devil's Night.
0: Basically, yeah. Like, we just got to get rid of... Like we said, we just got to get rid of all these empty buildings. Wow. Um, but, yeah, like, this really is sort of, like, the halfway point between Batman and the Matrix, I feel like. <sighs> and I know we're going... I, I'm stepping in a big puddle of shit here by talking <laughs> about the Matrix. Oh, boy. But, like, no... like. Yeah, they're, they're they're writing Batman's coattails so fucking hard. It
1: is, but it's Batman for people who Batman was not dark enough for, and we're talking Tim it's, Burton Batman.
0: Is yeah, there, it's, what
1: a year it's, out from Batman Forever.
0: So you're saying it's Batman for Frank Miller?
1: It is Batman. It's Batman for Frank Miller.
0: <laughs> so, and then, but, and then like uh, this film, and then uh, the director's next film, Dark City. Like these two put together, you basically have the Matrix. So like. God, the, I
1: forgot about Dark City. Dark City's so, also terrible.
0: Uh okay. I'll 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 pretend I didn't hear that and I'll move on.
1: <laughs> My husband like, loves that you, movie. You, I just you like take, didn't get it.
0: You it's it's weird. Um but you take all of the weird uh gothic like emotionalism out of this movie and you basically have the Matrix. Yeah. Because the Matrix is there is no emotion in the Matrix. The Matrix no, does not. not believe in feelings. <laughs>
1: No. But see this is why I'm glad I have you because I can be passionate about the music but and we've all established that my film tastes are trash. So I have it's you true. have the the real background and being able to appreciate film and I'm just like oh. this is why we're a good pair.
0: Yeah, like I said at the start, we're like constantly trading our our credit cards back and forth because yes. like we obviously don't know what we're talking about at any given moment. Except uh, We should get back to the soundtrack Uh, So this scene that we've been talking about For the last 25 minutes um, (laughs) Where the crow kills fun boy Is is underscored by uh, Golgotha tenement blues By the machines of loving grace Which I wanted to talk about only briefly, partly because uh, I am completely and utterly impressed that they actually worked the phrase Golgotha tenement into the lyrics of a song. Really? Yes. Like, it's in, it's in the lyrics of the song. And this was, like, one of, I think, two or three songs that were actually written specifically for the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: was this, it was Burn, and It Can't Rain All the Time. But this one, I feel like they really were just in it for the the mood music kind of vibe. Yeah,
1: um, we talk about what a terrible goth I am. Um, I do have a real soft spot for industrial and metal drumming. I just Mm -hmm. think that it's just like it gets me every time. The beat is really good. Yeah, yeah, and this one uh, I think is probably the best uh, on the soundtrack.
0: Mm -hmm. And also, I I need I need to I can't let this go by without mentioning this i wrote this down when i was dictating notes to this to myself about this film on my phone uh, my autocorrect autocorrected golgotha tenement to gold golf attend a man <laughs> <laughs> which has All right. I, like I'm, I'm i'm saving that and putting it in my my next book of poetry that's, that's beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> poetry written by autocorrect
1: <laughs> i'm really surprised that hasn't become a thing it's so, it has to have. Mine always corrects love to live. My phone does not is not romantic. Hmm. So, it's that's, definitely that's learned not to correct fuck though. <laughs> that's the first thing I fucking taught it.
0: As a, as any good uh, owner of a uh, computer should. Owner
1: of a lonely phone.
0: <laughs> My phone on the other hand, uh auto I, I taught it to Put the word "fucking" in all caps somehow. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I'm it's I'm amazing. proud of it.
1: You should be. Um, so
0: yeah, so let's uh, let's keep this train rolling here. What's uh, what, where are we gonna where are we gonna go next, Libby? Well, next, what's the next stop?
1: Oh, it's uh, I think it's time for Under the Covers, Ooh. which is uh, we talk about uh, the cover song on any given soundtrack, and today it is Nine Inch Nails covering Joy Division's. Dead Souls. The fact that this doesn't have any Joy Division on it is notable because the author was a big Joy Division fan. Um, a lot of the the different comics and chapters were named for Joy Division songs and if legend has it true the uh, producers approached Bernard Sumner a uh, member of Joy Division now reformed as New Order following e- Ian Curtis's suicide um, about re-recording Love Will Tear Us Apart and Bernard Sumner was like, nah so <laughs> <laughs> and which I'm good with Because uh, Ian Curtis's death by suicide was, like, right before Closer was released. The song was about the breakup of his marriage. And so to re-record it with the surviving members of Joy Division seems wrong. And especially, you know, as we talk about how sort of drenched with death this film really is, that's another piece of it.
0: Yeah, there's really no avenue you could turn down that doesn't end in death. Like, yeah, even even uh, with Stone Temple Pilots, you know Scott Weiland, you know mm-hmm. shuffled off recently as well.
1: Yeah, well, in the um, it's interesting though because uh, when you think about the the moments that Eric has when he interacts with other characters are immensely tender. On um, the interactions he has with Sarah, with Ernie Hudson are very sweet he's very kind and very generous and so it's such a weird contrast and not a good one i think it shows lazy and sloppy writing and poor acting that he's just like so kind to them and then goes and like murders people like gleefully and remorselessly Um, yeah you
0: don't get the sense that he is like trying to Put off this vibe of like I'm exacting my re- dark sticky revenge. He is having a blast murdering these people. He loves it. And yeah, it's, and it's it's, it's yeah, off putting.
1: Yeah, it really is. And his weird Tommy, we laugh. Um, and if but if you listen to the original version of Dead Souls by Joy Division, it's uh, it's so electric. It's so exciting. It's, it could be a cool world. Like, it's that level of, of early uh, techno, early house. Um, it's so good. And, I mean, it's a bummer of a song, because that's what Joy Division wrote. But um, he was, like, Ian Curtis was like a goth David Byrne.
0: <laughs>
1: and Trent Reznor just cannot bring that.
0: Yeah, like, there's an energy to the original version of the song where, like, you almost feel like this song is going to just collapse at any moment, and they're just, like, holding it up by the sheer force of will.
1: The sheer force of rock.
0: Yeah, and this one is extremely produced, is the way I'll put it.
1: It's dull. It is... It's just so... It flatlines... There, there's never there's never any movement
0: but at the same time this is one of the only Nine Inch Nails songs I like
1: huh see and I don't I know will, them I will anything... take your
0: negative reactions now like everybody like just keep them upon me because I know that's gonna get some shit
1: I only know Nine Inch Nails from being on people's t-shirts mm. um, and I remember um one of my ex's shitty friends requested whatever that song that goes I want to fuck you like an animal at a dance and dedicated it to me
0: Jesus Christ yeah his so yeah you really... have a pretty good reason to not care for Nine Inch Nails I just I like
1: just... I couldn't even give a like la- I don't I'm just like okay that's a thing <laughs> I <don't> <laughs> <even> <laughs> that's, care. that's
0: funny once yeah.
1: so I was just like meh Nine Inch Nails don't I, hate them don't love them don't care I, en-
0: I enjoy Nine Inch Nails when they remember that they're supposed to be a rock band yeah <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those songs.
1: No, it's just this one did not, and and maybe if it hadn't been, because I do I do love Joy Division. I love "Love Will Tear Us Apart." That song will wreck you. But, um...
0: well, this is what kind of where I'll, I'll have to t- turn in my 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 credit card because, like, I really don't. I'm not familiar with uh, Joy Division or New Order kind of at all. Like, I wouldn't look. Okay, well, this has before. been OST
1: party. Uh, <laughs> quit. <laughs>
0: My 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 swan song, like <laughs> Libby's gonna have a new co-host next episode. <laughs> Oops. I done did it. I did a bad one.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not as familiar with Joy Division as I as I should be. So maybe that'll be one of my uh my music goals this year. Like last year was to just get really super into Elvis Costello. Uh this year I've decided I'm gonna get really into Burt Bacharach and maybe Joy Division as well.
0: Well, I'll I'll tell you this. Like like I said, I went and sought out the original version of this song, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. So there's a good chance that I will go and and find more Joy Division to listen to.
1: Level tear us apart was used really really strongly in the film series seven, The Contenders. Which, oh, okay. Uh, have you? I've seen heard of it? that.
0: No, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. It's really I'm really familiar.
1: really good. The music was composed by uh, our friends from Clerks, Girls Against Boys.
0: Oh, okay. Cool.
1: So. That's that's been I think one of the most fun things about this podcast, um, as we've gone on this journey together, um, is starting to make those connections. Um, yeah,
0: finding starting... finding people who go on to produce other other like soundtrack music work and things like that. Yeah, that's a lot of it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, and and seeing who sort of carries over from one episode to the next. Uh, like I said, we have you know my life with the Thrill Kill Cult, and you know uh, it's been a while since we've had any Massive Attack. I'm starting to worry.
0: I know, we we kind of played that joke early, and then all of a sudden, whoops, where's Massive Attack?
1: We'll get back to it. Yeah, we'll get
0: back there someday. <laughs> someday soon.
1: <laughs> all right. So, uh, but I want to very quickly talk about um, For Love, Not Lisa, which okay. they do the song Slip, Slide, Melting. Um, I just want to point out that they hail from my home state of Oklahoma, which might explain why they're so angry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I buy it
1: yeah so um that song i think is a little more in line with my taste it's sort of a bridge between stone temple pilots and nine inch nails Mm -hmm. and um it's it's got like that headbang sound which i like i'm actually surprisingly good at headbanging but it wasn't it didn't go quite into that didn't go like full industrial but it wasn't grunge either so i think it's a happy medium that's definitely right there in
0: between yeah
1: yeah that's one to um it's not quite a standout but it's definitely one you want to go back and listen to again it's like hey that's actually that song is better than first uh like initial listens might reveal
0: yeah it it falls into that vague genre called mainstream alternative i think
1: oh yeah they don't
0: they don't know what the hell to call it (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) so but I think that leaves us with. Um...
0: Before we wrap up tonight, I just I do just kind of want to quickly point out that like um, a lot of the artists that we're not talking about on this soundtrack are a lot of the artists that pretty much everybody's heard of. Your Rollins Band, your Violet Films, uh, Rage Against the Machine, um, Helmet, Pantera, all those artists. Fine, whatever. I mean, it, 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 someone's going to be mad that we didn't cover it, and that's fine. But I do want to say point out half the artists on this soundtrack. Appeared on the Billboard Top 200 when this soundtrack hit. So, like, this soundtrack is very much what was going on in rock music in 1994.
1: Yeah, it definitely has its uh finger on the pulse of, of the the charts.
0: Yeah, and which explains and... why
1: it's it was very it was extremely iconic. Um, you know, this was something that everybody in the world except for apparently me, uh, <laughs> had. It was. Um, it sold 3.8 million copies and has been certified three times platinum.
0: Yeah. So as far as soundtracks go, this was a big hit.
1: Mm-hmm. And... I, also, I
0: just I just want to point out, like, this is a soundtrack where Henry Rollins screams a song about Ghost Rider. And I'm glad you didn't pick this for Under the Covers because it's a really stupid song.
1: It is. It's stupid, and I don't even want to talk about it.
0: But he, and I don't even think that Henry Rollins cares that much about Ghost Rider because he's singing it in a way that, that sounds very sarcastic.
1: Yeah, and I'm not really sure why it's on here. Because
0: it's a, it's a ni- 90s so edgy uh, superhero in a 90s so edgy superhero movie. That's the I only guess. reason I can think of.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, while we're it, on the subject of, uh, of covers, Pantera covers uh, Poison Ideas the Badge.
0: So. And that one's an all right song, yeah. like uh, if if you care about Pantera, it's fine. I don't you know,
1: I'm not white somebody. trash, so I don't
0: i I am, and it's okay
1: <laughs> I know I, just as i like a minute after I say the phrase from my home state of Oklahoma, I'm like, no not white trash
0: <laughs> wow, yeah it, we're we're wrapping up the show here, so there, there's Are one we? last th- there's <laughs> we're trying so hard. there's one last track we really need to address, and that's um do we have to I mean I'm gonna
1: do they have to take you away?
0: They do. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> Libby. I hate, I hate to ruin the fun, but they do. Um, it, you know, we've been talking a lot about. You know, these songs have been just like falling on our heads the entire, all, the entire time. This whole hour has been littered with grunge tracks and industrial tracks, just pelting us in the face. But you know what? It's kicking rain us with all steel toe
1: Doc Martins.
0: <laughs> right that's exactly right Doc Martens are raining from the sky upon us uh, like like Frank Costanza hurling blows upon us <laughs> this, so, this soundtrack has, has to end at some point and it cannot rain all the time oh, so let's God. talk about It Can't Rain All the Time by uh, Jane Syberry
1: Uh, the, oh my god. Um, this song was apparently uh, Eric Draven's. Uh, Hangman's Joke was his band, and that's why he has the stupid makeup. This does not sound like a band or a song written by a guy wearing stupid makeup and bondage pants. This song, <laughs> this sounds like a sort of Joan Baez knockoff sung by a woman without a bra on.
0: <laughs> this song sounds like Lilith Fair. Yes,, hmm.
1: I hate it. I hate this song. It's so dumb, and it can rain all the time i live in I lived in Binghamton. Trust me, it can rain all the time
0: i I feel like this is really a song written about like the Seattle Grunge experience where like the whole thing is just like it rains all the time here. yeah, well, it can't rain all the time, and grunge music is going oh yes it can. Is going to end at some point, Libby, and when that day comes uh Alternative music's going to die with it, and hip-hop's going to reign supreme, and you're going to miss it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I'm going to. Uh, The song is just, it's one of those, like, it doesn't, I don't know why this, they didn't put together Hangman's Joke.
0: Yeah, that's a strange choice.
1: Like, why they let this lady who toured with the Indigo Girls do this is this for the ladies? I don't
0: maybe cuz like there's only got one other uh uh female singer on the on the soundtrack, right? I feel like
1: Yeah.
0: I yeah, but no, you I just you get... said it a minute ago. I don't understand why this song isn't the song we hear in the film for like 5 seconds cuz at one point the kid goes well, home and puts on Eric's record and plays it can't rain all the time and it reminds her that like the the creepy guy that she met on the street is actually Eric resurrected because he says to her, it can't rain all the time. And so why is this not that band?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's one of those things like, yeah, I guess we should put something on here for these guys to, you know, put on a mixtape for the girl in math class that they sit behind. I don't know.
0: And I probably would it's have.
1: A... <laughs> yeah, you're sweet. I um... This song is terrible. Mm-hmm. But this it, And this sorry. is no it's just it's it's terrible.
0: And it but it raises the next question like which is if this is the song that he wrote this it doesn't track that that band wrote this song because that band looks like every like C grade grunge band you've ever seen and then they're playing this like
1: Yeah, that's what really confuses me. Um because they look like I mean, the,
0: they look like Stone Temple like, Pilots, let's Slipknot.
1: be honest. Well, no, with his stupid <laughs> face makeup, it's like, are they Kiss? Are they Slipknot? What are they? Because he's the only one wearing the makeup. Yeah. And his stupid, like, tight bondage pants and the mesh shirt, which I would have totally been into if I was, a, like a, like, a college girl in 1994. That's, like, the look... I would have been, like, (laughs) ready for. and But I'm looking at him, like, go put on a sweater. It's raining. Do not walk around in that. I don't care if you're a ghost. You go put on a jacket. You're going to
0: catch cold, mister.
1: I know. Mr. (laughs) Ghost. Mr. Crow Ghost. I know. But, like, if you look at these lyrics, like, I hear pounding feet in the in the streets below and the women crying and the children know that there's something wrong. It's hard to believe that love will prevail. Starf. I know. I miss you. Can you tell me? Is there something more to believe in? Or is oh my God, like stop. You suck. But then she says
0: it can't rain all the time, six thousand times. Like yeah. that it takes over the song and it's like that's all I remember is that line, because you can't forget it. You sure as hell can't forget it. I kind of forgot about the song already though. Um,
1: yeah. Um. Interestingly, it's written by um, uh, Jane Siberry wrote it along with Graham Ravel, mm-hmm. who uh, who wrote the score, and wrote the score for Sin City, which is one of my favorites. Yeah, he
0: he does a lot of good uh compositional stuff like this. Like he does a lot of soundtracks that that I like. Um.
1: Yeah, but he wrote this garbage. Yeah, so like, why did you do I don't this? Know. I mean, you
0: get everybody's got to start somewhere.
1: It can't rain it can't all the time. Rain I guess. All the
0: time. I mean, he would go and start working with like Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, so like he made his money. You know, don't don't cry yeah. for Graham Rebel. Um, I
1: don't. But um, yeah, this just it does not make sense. It does not. This, the placement of this yes. on the soundtrack well, makes. And sense. And the
0: placement of it in the film is is equally baffling because it plays over the end credits as you're leaving the theater. Like this was the song that that it this was the song that ends the, the movie.
1: It was the kiss from a rose of the crow.
0: No, big empty is the kiss from a rose <laughs> from the crow. This is the hold me, throw me, kiss <laughs> me, kill well, no, me but of then the crow. That it played over the. This is the one that plays. Don't you say that about hold me. Throw this me, kiss, is the kill one me. that plays first. I'll kill you. The analogy works. Damn it.
1: <laughs> and is this what he's supposed to be playing on um, on the roof?
0: I don't think so. I think he's just noodling he just... like a jackass.
1: Yeah, he well, hates his neighbors. Honestly. What neighbors? We've established nobody lives in this city. He hates
0: that kid, really, is what it is.
1: <laughs> I, I, She was the only thing I liked. I was just like, you're cool. You just seem like a cool kid. <laughs> so. You're the only person with any personality.
0: If, if the movie didn't follow or couldn't follow Ernie Hudson, I the movie should have followed her, really. I mean, it, it kind of does, but we don't see her a whole lot. She's really only in the movie to... Well, to Say poetic things and then get captured by T Money and his grizzled stooges.
1: <laughs> well, and it's she's the only one that really even has any any real dialogue or movement because Shelley's dead right from mm-hmm. the top. Um, there's the junkie mom, uh, Darla. Darla, yeah, is that her name? Ugh. And she's just there to be a junkie. Um, there's the weird sister sex toy and that's it yeah those are the women of the crow
0: pretty much it's a shame
1: so it's yeah it's um, it this is a dude film this is just one of those like this is such a dude film and
0: it really is and, and i and i yeah. almost want to apologize for it but you know what i can't i can't apologize i can't make apologies for this this is no too stupid I admit that it's, I admit yeah, that it's, it's a fully completely stupid movie but I I can't help but appreciate it anyway.
1: <laughs> it's like me with Cool World. Like you recognize it's trash but you're like I'm going to go. Yeah, with this it. is
0: my trash. Like that's your cool. Yeah, this is cool your trash. World is your trash. The Crow is my trash. It is.
1: Oh, this is trash. And this is. And also just um uh, I think my biggest problem with The Crow is that it inspired so many like weird goth dudes to be like this. And I don't even think he's that good of a goth dude because he seems he's extremely pleasant and he is like he's a boy scout he's really nice yeah, I mean he's like me as a, I was a goth chick and I was really i was very bubbly i mean I'm basically picture me now, but like with yeah. you know black lace dress instead of a uh cowboy bebop t-shirt and pajama pants so um, you were goth
0: spice right.
1: I was goth spice, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. I do miss platform boots, though. Um, <laughs> the only thing about being a goth I miss. Um, but he is, like, the most pleasant, nice goth boy. Well,
0: let, me, let me put it this way. The best thing about The Crow is that it inspired the best professional wrestler of all time to basically play The Crow. Um,
1: yeah, I wasn't going to say that because that's not the best thing about The Crow. That's the worst and that
0: is terrible. But Sting is amazing. What, what's, what's wrong with Sting?
1: No, wrestling is
0: dumb. Wrestling is dumb, but <laughs> Sting gonna... is amazing.
1: No, but it's funny because that was actually, because I, I did know that. And it, um, she, it's, Sarah. It's the stu- mentioned... it, it is by far the
0: stupidest thing that Sting decided to like model himself after a movie from 1994.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was funny because when she's talking, when Sarah's talking to Darla, she's like, somebody bought me dinner. The police and I thought, oh, Sting, because of course that's where my music mind right. goes, and then of course the wrestler, <laughs> Sting.
0: Of course, like that's
1: kind of a Swiss Army joke, but um, you know, that's that's how my brain. If works. If we can
0: work Lord of the Rings into this, we'll have the hat trick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, no, this I, here's my final thoughts on this okay. film. This is an utterly joyless exercise in bleakness. And yes, I understand the film was surrounded by actual, literal death. But even without that, if Brandon Lee was still alive and making Hallmark movies the way God intended, this film would still be joyless. Oh. It is just... It's, it's just bleak and heavy and empty and lacking all human emotions other than, like you said, this Sort of oppressive, like I am really sad,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad
1: things are bad,
0: <laughs> I mean you're not wrong, I will say you're absolutely not wrong, however, I can't help but appreciate it for what it is anyway, because like knowing what goes on behind the scenes of a movie is is that's like this the hallmark of a bad movie but the mm-hmm. like you can tell that this movie is like held together with duct tape and rubber bands and they're trying so hard to just make the thing despite what all all everything that happened and the fact that they did yeah. and that it still kind of works if not for a story perspective or you know anything else like the design is, looks great the the fact that it even works as a movie is kind of remarkable the performances no hell no absolutely not but I enjoy it in spite of a lot of things, so
1: see, I don't think the design choice I think the lighting is really bad. you never can tell what's going on. I think the settings are <sighs> immensely unpleasant, and I don't think it holds together because there's no story. It's just like a guy goes around murdering people with a and a bird follows him, and then Ernie Hudson wants to smoke, but then quits at the end, and everybody laughs um it's I don't know. It just, it, but the fact that it was somehow so monumentally successful. And I was talking with a friend earlier when I mentioned we were recording this tonight and he called it a landmark soundtrack and that it's still, I mean, even we saw it um, on the OST party, Twitter at OST party. Um, people got excited about this. People really oh, do yeah. hold this movie. In a lot of esteem, which baffles me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna be okay with it. I hold plenty of really stupid movies in esteem too. We're all in this stupid movie shit together, people. Mm. Let's just be real.
0: I, I guess my final thought on this is, I appreciate the 1994ness of it all.
1: Oh, the extreme 94ness.
0: And if I've, if I've impressed anything upon you, it's that my taste in everything is stuck in the mid 90s, and it will not move. That's cool. And so that's fine. I'm glad that I still have this and I can pull it out on a rainy day when I'm just feeling like, you know what? Fuck everybody. I just want to see a a crow man murder some dudes.
1: Joe, it can't rain all the time.
0: But when it does, I have this.
1: (laughs) But it's funny. um, Yeah, this one just didn't didn't land for me and i think i wanted it to but it it was such a slog to try to i
0: i wanted it to for you because i really i maybe this just proves that i really don't know people as much as well as i thought i did (laughs) Uh,
1: that's fine (sighs) um but i guess that the you know the big question is uh how does the soundtrack hold up does this hold together as a soundtrack
0: i'm gonna say it does i mean it paints a pretty solid picture of what the movie is and mm-hmm. it really is kind of a time capsule of what was going on in 1994. So I, I'm going to say I'm, it uh, it holds together.
1: I'm absolutely, I'm going to say that this is probably the tightest soundtrack we've had.
0: Yeah. As yeah. far
1: as matching the mood, the time period, and the film itself. This is definitely... There's There's nothing on here with the exception of It Can't Rain All the Time. That doesn't fit the film exactly, right? And that's the misstep.
0: It it, it is, and I almost, wa- and I almost wish this had it had been left off the soundtrack as like the that lost track that people wish was on the soundtrack. 20 years later, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like a rec- like make it a record store day uh, exclusive. Like 20 years after the fact,
1: I'm really surprised that this hasn't been released on you know like black, uh, like cool like clear black vinyl like cloudy with a crow on Mm. it like etched i'm really surprised this would be a prime candidate because again everybody loves this soundtrack
0: i see i'm picturing i'm picturing like white vinyl with like the clown makeup on it on the face of it yeah and don't you don't you just want to see that spinning around on your record (laughs) your turntable kind of oh boy
1: kind of but um but yeah, this is still
0: that's the that's the crow, everybody. Uh, it, we're we're very conflicted about this one here on the OST party. So uh, we're eager to hear your thoughts and which one of us deserves the roasting more? Is it me or Libby? We'll let you decide.
1: It's gonna be it's, me. No, it, it's gonna be me. I'm ready for it. Uh,
0: I, I feel like the time I said I didn't care for nine inch nails is gonna be the thing. Like Libby's <laughs> gonna kick me off. Well, the neither show. of us
1: cared for nine inch nails. Yeah,
0: but I kind of admitted We've it first. <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah, I'll let don't you don't shoot that the messenger.
0: Yeah, totally shoot the messenger. It's me. It me.
1: <laughs> so what are we doing next time, Joe?
0: Uh, holy shnikes. We're go- taking a trip to Sandusky, Ohio, because next time on the podcast, we're talking about Tommy Boy.
1: Yes. Mm. Oh, this is going to be good.
0: <laughs> it's a. Uh, I don't think it's a cult classic, but because no, everybody loves Tommy Boy.
1: Some people, yeah, literally no one. You know who doesn't like Tommy Boy? My ex.
0: Ugh, he's the worst.
1: That tells you everything.
0: He's the worst, but Tommy Boy is, is great, and we're going to talk all about it next time. So, uh, uh, so Libby, until next time, where can they people find you on the internet?
1: You can find me at Libby Cudmore on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Where can they find you, Joe? Uh, you
0: can find me on Twitter at cordial wombat, and the same on uh, Instagram. And if you like, I, I think we plug this earlier, but if you have any questions or comments or recommendations uh, for future episodes, you can send those to us on Twitter or you can send those to ostpartypod at gmail.com So for OST Party, I have been Joseph Wade.
1: And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride.